Well, welcome to the latest podcast with me, Dr. Chris Keel, keeping it real with Dr. Keel. Gosh, I just love marketing. So the question today is something that's been on everybody's mind for months and will be on everybody's mind for many more months. The issue is fuel prices, how it relates to businesses and what can we expect and why are they so high and blah, blah, blah. So we know why they're high. That's no big surprise. We basically locked the third largest oil producer in the world out of the oil market. So Russia is alternately the second, third, fourth largest producer. kind of depends on the year. Um, they are predominantly a crude oil producer, though they also produce a lot of refined product as well. They have not been actually embargoed in many markets on a practical level, but basically companies around the world have been reluctant to do business with Russia because their own stockholders don't like it or their customers don't like it. So roughly 70% of Russian oil has no market right now. It's basically in storage. They have filled up every facility they have. They have filled up the pipelines. They have oil tankers just sitting around full of oil. And that's a critical thing to be aware of because what the oil market as a whole is watching is the amount of oil available in the world. This is a weird shortage. We don't really have a shortage of crude oil. We don't really have a shortage of refined product, though we're a little closer on that score. There's plenty of oil. There's plenty of oil in storage. It's just not moving. And the oil companies look at this and say, yeah, we get it. There's certainly an oil shortage now. But what happens if there's a change in Ukraine? What happens if negotiations start? What happens if there's a ceasefire? Will the Western nations decide to encourage Russia by lowering sanctions? The Western countries really would like that oil and gas, and they will be looking for almost any excuse to get access to it again. And it could just simply be as geopolitically pragmatic as saying, well, look, you know, Putin is starting to respond to our pressure. Maybe we can reward him by letting him sell some of that oil and gas. Who knows? I mean, at the moment, that would be a very politically risky thing to do. But with every passing day of high oil prices and high gas prices, the pressure mounts. So the oil companies look at this and say, any day now, you can end up going from oil shortage to oil glut. And all of a sudden, all this Russian oil hits the market. So they're resistant to a degree to overproduce. You have seen the U.S. get back to normal production. Canada's back to normal production. OPEC states, not so much. Some of the African states, not so much. So it's a little bit of a, a waiting game as these oil producers try to figure out what real demand is. And frankly, they continue to look at our commuting patterns. They know that 90% of how we consume fuel in this country is going back and forth to work. So if 60% of us are still working remotely, and that is the estimate right now, that means that these people aren't commuting. And if they're not commuting, they're not consuming fuel. If they're not consuming fuel, there's not a shortage. So that's kind of the equation that's, that's dominating the sector at the moment. 
all of the discussion around producing more oil and opening up more fields is is certainly timely, but this isn't like flipping a switch. I mean, even if the oil companies decide to take advantage of new openings as far as oil leases are concerned, or if they try to step up production by opening up areas that have been moribund for a while, even if we authorize pipelines, that's 8, 9, 10, 12 months away, maybe 24 months away. So it's not going to do anything for the price of, of fuel in the next two weeks, next two months, next two quarters for that matter. So it's it's kind of a it's suspense. You know, we're trying to figure out what everybody else is going to do far enough in advance to determine a reaction. What we do know is that we're not dealing with kind of that traditional concern that oil companies are withholding production or they're deliberately trying to raise prices. That's always been a red herring. People always look at this and say, well, you know, it's big oil. This is a commodity that's sold through a market, and these companies have little or no control over the price, to be honest. They can control what they produce, they can control what they decide to distribute, but when there's no market for oil, they lose money. You know, think back to 2020. These oil companies that are now sitting on massive profits and feeling pretty happy about the world, they were looking at $6 a barrel oil. You know, they were honestly saying, if this doesn't break, we're, we're going to go out of business. We can't compete at six, ten, twelve dollar a barrel oil. Well, now it's one hundred and twelve, and they're making a lot of money. But it's all been determined by the market itself. It's the fact that oil is an international commodity. It is defined in economics as an inelastic good. You just use what you use. The price really doesn't change what people do when it comes to fuel. It makes us mad, um, and it makes us happy when the prices come down, but if the price of oil goes up, you don't suddenly decide, well, I'm never going to drive again, I'm never going to go to work again, I'm never going to leave my house because oil has gotten expensive. You do what you always do, and we don't have a lot of choice. I mean, that's how we transport from one place to the other. We just have to live with it. So our consumption really doesn't change significantly with pricing. Over time, people will react. You know, over time, if prices stay high, people start buying more fuel-efficient cars. They may start rethinking where they live decide to move closer to where they work. But again, if they're working remotely, it doesn't matter. You know, they don't have to be anywhere near where they work. Um, they're working remotely, and that goes back to the original problem. So I guess the advice at this point is is just to kind of uh, buckle up and expect higher fuel prices for at least the duration of this year. I mean, it could break at any moment, but it's just not promising uh, at this stage. One never knows what it is going to take to to deviate Putin from his plan. Nothing has worked the way he wanted it to. It's all gotten much worse, and all he's really done is continue to double down, despite the fact that it's been a monumental failure. Who knows how that changes? So... I guess the long and the short of it is you're going to have to find other places to cut because your fuel prices are going to be eating you for a number of months yet to come. And the hope on the horizon is either a combination of some 
more willing production on the part of world producers or some kind of a, an agreement to allow some of that Russian oil to start coming back on the market. So with that happy thought, um, I will leave you and we will talk more about, you know, rainbows and unicorns next week so that we can all get back into a better mood. Thanks.